Welcome to the City Collective Podcast. We believe we are better together and exist to create space for everyone to discover life in Jesus. We hope that you encounter the heart of God and are challenged and inspired in your relationship with Christ. Now we'll read the scripture together. And since we don't have words, you can really focus on uh, what the scripture is saying. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. That's Matthew 5, 13 to 20. Great. Thanks, Jordan. Well, welcome. Uh, I hope that you made a new friend and made some connections over what cuisine you are desiring for, for next week. But uh, it's, uh, it's a great thing to be together on this, this long weekend. Uh, if this is your first time here, welcome. My name is Jason. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here at City Collective, and we say it every week. Uh, wherever you find yourself on your journey of faith, Christian, non-Christian, atheist, agnostic, not sure about Jesus, we hope that you feel welcome. Uh, you find that this is a space that you can dive into the conversation of, of faith and community and relationship with God. We just finished a series to open our year talking about relationships and the, and the complicated nature of them. In the same sense that we have explored those different relational connections with God, with others, with ourselves, we now enter into this upcoming season. We mentioned it already that Ash Wednesday is this upcoming Wednesday. And that takes us into a season of Lent that is meant to journey with Jesus to the cross. And so we are starting a, a new series going back into the Gospel of Matthew. And in particular, we ended off in the fall, finishing with the final beatitude. And we're continuing right out of that. And this, this Sermon on the Mount that we find Jesus talking to us through is of incredible weight. It's provocative. It's, it's interesting. It's confronting. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to working through this together. Because throughout these upcoming weeks, we're going to be seeing what Jesus has to say in what is the greatest sermon ever told. I'm not talking about this morning, just Jesus' sermon on the mount of, of this kingdom that had come. I want you to picture this with me. 
upon a hill in northern Galilee, a group of people have gathered to listen to Jesus deliver this transformative speech about what it looks like to actually participate in the kingdom that has come. This is a group that's followed him to learn different things. Tax collectors, prostitutes, revolutionaries, those who would have been considered to be spiritually bankrupt by culture and society, and just common folk gathering around this rabbi in the hopes that he has something to say to them that would actually meet them in the midst of their struggle and misery because of an oppressive foreign power. These, these hills that they've gathered in actually have a little bit of a reputation. These hills are often a hangout for holy revolutionaries to gather together, for outlaws ready to fight the pagans that have come before them to, to bring in a new kingdom by any means possible, including that of violence. This, this is what is taking place within the minds of those who are listening to Jesus in this moment. They've gathered in this specific place at a specific time and they have an expectation of what they're going to hear and receive. But the message of Jesus has a very different tone than the violent one perhaps that they were hoping and expecting. You can imagine what that expectation would have felt like for those who were listening. And then Jesus responds to this expectation not to appease them and be popularized in the current moment. No, he speaks what he believes to be truth. And he, he outlines in the opening of the Sermon on the Mount what we talked about in the fall, the Beatitudes and all the ways those who participate in his kingdom are blessed. Those who are merciful those who are peacemakers, those who are poor in spirit, those who are meek. You can imagine the response of the individuals in the room being something like, or on that hill, being something like, hey, I don't think you're seeing the reality in front of us. What I see to be successful in the world are the warmongers and the ones with power. Those who manipulate and those who steal seem to have far more of the so-called blessing that you're speaking of that comes through the kingdom of God to those who are meek, to those who are merciful, to those who are poor in spirit. Those, my reality does not seem to align with what you're saying, Jesus. And Jesus, he continues. He continues with this radical message and in fact, he speaks to very applicable realities for the audience that was present as well as to us today, explaining how God's kingdom turns the values of the world upside down. This is what the Sermon on the Mount is, and this is what we will be exploring in the days to come. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, theologian during World War, II, World War II who opposed the Nazi occupation, he says this, he says, a king who dies on the cross must be the king of a rather strange kingdom. Only those who understand the profound paradox of the cross can also understand the whole meaning of Jesus' assertion, my kingdom is not of this world. This is a provocative and explosive manifesto for change in the world. 
and not just for change in the world in how we think, but for that change to begin in his followers. He was speaking of a kingdom unlike any other. So as we read our text today, uh, the opening line, it, it communicates this, this idea of salt. And I wonder what comes to mind when you hear Jesus talking about salt. Is it uh, the 2010 action thriller, Angel Angelina Jolie spy movie that comes to mind? Probably not. It wasn't that good. Is it something someone said yesterday that felt a little bit salty and you're still, still trying to overcome it? Is it perhaps, for those in the room that don't want to fully admit it, Salt and Peppa's hit classic of the 80s, Push It, and now you're trying to recover from the fact that Jesus provoked Push It to come into your mind. It's, it's an awkward feeling between the two. I wish I had a really provocative example of how those two things pushed it, came together. I don't. That's as much as we can get into that. For myself, when I hear the word salt, it's really simple, and I imagine it's much the same for you. I think of a salt shaker. Think of the item that I put upon food to elevate its flavor. Over the past couple of years, there's, there's been uh, this social media personality that has taken upon himself the, the title of Salt Bay. Turkish butcher who is now a, a restaurateur and social media personality that has made millions on this one move, and perhaps you've seen it, where he brings his steak that is highly overpriced, table side, cuts it dramatically so, grabs some large granules of salt, and spills it over top of the steak. He's now been... Uh, vilified on national stage because of the way he acted in the World Cup in the celebration around that, but that's a different conversation about how the f media flips on you pretty quickly when you don't do something that, you, that you, they don't want you to do. It's a different sermon, though. Regardless, salt today is most well-known for being that which elevates flavor. That is what we know it as. But there is another use case for salt that would have been on the minds of those who have been listening to Jesus at the time. Salt in our imagination is primarily around the idea of taste. But in the time and culture of, the, of Jesus, salt carried an extreme value because it was a preserving agent. It still is a preserving agent. It was so valuable in that time and space that sometimes Roman soldiers were actually paid with salt. In fact, the English word salary derives from the Latin word salarium, which means salt money. This was the way they would have heard salt would have been different than you and I. It was vital actually for their culture, for their existence. It spoke of incredible value. Our, our cooling strategies of ice boxes and refrigeration were not present at the time, nor would they have been a particularly uh, applicable in a Middle Eastern reality. So in order for them to have food that lasted an extended period of time, salt was required. Butchering a cow meant you got to enjoy maybe something the day of, but you had to find a way to preserve it for the remainder Fish, lamb, any cuts of meat. This is what salt was used for. 
And if there wasn't salt present, that which was wanted would go bad, it would decay, and in fact it would rot. This is the picture that would have come to the minds of those who were listening to Jesus as he spoke. This is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that the world is decaying and I want to stop it. Salt stops decay and you, those who wish to follow me, you are that salt. I want to cover this decaying world with salt to stop it and I'm doing it through you. The fact that Jesus uses the images of salt and light communicate this feeling of calling and purpose to all who were present. And this is significant in of itself. And there's a few different things that I want us to hear this morning. Number one is this idea that the world is decaying and this is uncomfortable. It was uncomfortable, uncomfortable for me even as I was wrestling through this idea because we live in a time and place where it seems like everything is progressing. Technology is, is more innovative and spectacular than ever before. Science has moved to a place that we have not seen throughout human history. We've seen globalization take place where cultures and people are connected and able to, to collaborate and move together in such dramatic ways. It would seem that we've actually progressed in an incredible way throughout the centuries and now we find ourselves at this place. So this idea of the world decaying seems to push up against that and make me really uncomfortable. The implication that the world is dark and decaying means that Jesus believes that it needs to be preserved and illuminated. Jesus is saying, without God and when people are left to themselves, it runs itself down. This is, this is what, what I, I see for myself. When we look at culture, it says over and over that things are getting better. It's this thing called the myth of progress. Ever since the age of enlightenment, a few hundred years ago, there has been this idea presented that things are constantly on a trajectory called progress and getting better. But it uses the variables of progress and get things getting better along the ideas of, of pro process and science and, and technology. And it, and it uses things and ideas to be the way in which we say we have progressed and moved forward as a society. But here is the deep and vulnerable challenge that we face if we were to look at it honestly. We might have gone to the moon and back, but yet slavery is at its most it is at the highest numbers it has been throughout history. Child abuse and pornography are so in the present elements of our culture, but we can produce vaccines at an extremely high rate. The challenge is when we look at it through the lens of our culture and the age of enlightenment and how we see progress to be, I fully am all for science and innovation. I want to get the newest, best things. I am so grateful that we live in an age where medicine has moved to the places that it has been. But if our markers of progress are simply the things that we do and not the people that we are, we have missed the mark. If we are to say that the moral and 
ethnic fabric of our culture has progressed, I would say that we are not being honest. In fact, we live in a time and space where things are more divisive, hateful, and angry than ever before. It might be painted with social correctedness, but the heart condition of our culture has not progressed. In fact, I would say based upon personal anecdotes, cultural research, and what we see on social media and in our news every single day, the world is decaying. We believe that if we do things well enough, we can reach this utopic future, a flourishing society by ourselves. But Jesus is saying that the world left to itself does not have the ability to save itself. And here's the thing. If you don't accept the reality that something is wrong, you will never do something to make it right. If we don't accept the reality that the world is decaying, then being quote-unquote salty does not matter. We don't actually think that it needs to be preserved. It's healthy and fine. If I don't think something's on fire, I'm not going to apply water to it. This is hard news. But there is good news in here. Because Jesus is not leaving the world to its own devices. It's not leaving the world to decay. He's not going to leave it dark. He's at work through his followers and through his spirit to take his lead to bring change. The glorification of progress through many avenues, we, it blinds us from the decay that is taking place all around us. But Jesus is inviting us into something better. And so he makes this statement at the beginning of the text, and he talks about us, about being salt, and he talks about us being light. But interspersed between those two ideas, he also provides two warnings. And I would say the warnings really do matter. Because why does Jesus give these warnings? He doesn't just say salt and light. He says, if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. This, again, feels so harsh. Like, I'm trying my best here, Jesus. Trying to be a little bit salty once in a while. Why am I getting tossed out? Think about it this way. The properties of salt, the source of light, those, those baseline means and what makes them what they are, are unchanging. They don't change even when they are used. They still hold that same chemical composition, but they can become ineffective. Essentially, salt does not stop being salt, but it can be ineffective because of impurities. In the first century world, salt would be refined. And so it was common for there to be impurities, things like gypsum and sand that could be mixed in with it. And then two things would happen when there was impurities present within the salt. Number one, you would see it become completely ineffective. It no longer carried any elevation of flavor, nor would it actually prevent decay. Number two is it itself would become an agent of decay. 
the impurities would make it what it was meant to actually prevent. And unfortunately, both have been proven to be true. Impurity is the reality when compromise sneaks into our lives. Half measures, limited commitments for limited growth, and we become almost irreverent in the way that we live and useless in places that we want to have impact because we have mixed all these different things into the manner in which Jesus has actually invited us to live. And then it actually gets much worse and much more dangerous is when people actually begin to do things in the name of Jesus that are actually simply reflections of the decay and darkness that are in the world. Perhaps you've seen it and you've been frustrated by it. When you've seen people do things that are incredibly harmful to their neighbor, to the foreigner, to the refugee. They've spoken in a way that does not seem like Jesus, but they claim that it is Jesus. And they use language that perhaps is of the church or of a, of a historical Christian variety. And they paint it with that brush. But internally, you're saying to yourself, this doesn't feel right. They are doing the very thing that Jesus says needs to be thrown out and trampled. They have allowed the impurity of darkness and decay to enter the saltiness of their life to the point where they have become the decay themselves. This is incredibly harsh, but I think we can agree it is incredibly true as well. We have seen it take place. And this is why Jesus gives the warning. Your purpose is great. The world is decaying. And you are the means through which I wish to preserve that which is good in a decaying world. But when we allow the impurities of the world to infect and become mixed into the saltiness of us in Christ, we can become the decay itself. It has no sign of the Sermon of the Mount within the life that's being lived. Therefore, decay takes place. And that's just an assault metaphor. Because the second metaphor of one of light that Jesus is providing in this teaching of being a light on a hill and not hiding your light. Jesus, he, he's talked about throughout the gospel of John in such a a pervasive way, in such a, a meaningful way about him being the light that shines in the darkness and the darkness does not comprehend it. But for the listeners, the manner in which Jesus says this, that you can't be a, a city on a hill without a light, is meaningful, meaningful for them. A town on a hill cannot be hidden. If you were traveling in the ancient world, in the ancient Near East in particular, to those who were listening at the time, you would not be traveling during the day in the dead heat. You would be traveling at night. Because the heat was so much during the, during the day, at, at night, you'd begin to travel, and you would actually use these towns on the hill that were lit up to be the markers for your path forward. There's a town over here. There's a town over there, and I'm going to use those as navigation. I'm, they're going to be my, my GPS. And Jesus is essentially saying this. This is what you are to be a follower of Jesus, to be signposts for those around you for what we are going towards. Which is Jesus, the resurrection, a new creation. 
This is why the warnings matter. Sometimes we, we glaze past the warning because we are afraid of what it's going to make us feel. But the gravity of a warning can also indicate the gravity of the invitation. Jesus is saying this with some oomph behind it. He wants us to know that these mornings matter. John Stock, Stott, he talks about it this way. Because this is what we're, we're prone to do. We're prone to see de decay and darkness in the world around us. And we're, we're quick to say, man, like, they've got it wrong. How could they do this thing? Man, they, they've, they've missed the mark. And, and we're quick to point fingers. But this is what he says. He says, if society deteriorates and its standards decline until it becomes dark like night or a stinking fish, there is no sense in blaming society. That is what happens when fallen men and women are left to themselves and human selfishness is unchecked. Here's the thing. We should expect the world to act like the world. And we should start to expect the church to start acting like Jesus. This is where the accountability should lie. We should start calling one another, start calling the church to act like Jesus. And then the question becomes, how? We're called to be salt and light, but how do we do that? So that takes us to the third idea of the way to the how. There's, there's a misunderstanding that can sometimes be slipped into this text, that somehow being salty or bringing light into a situation is this Christian nicety. I'm just going to be nice to people. That our niceness will demonstrate God. And sure, you and I, we are called to be kind. The kindness of God leads us to repentance. But Jesus is talking about something different here. Because he just spent the opening of the chapter in the, the Beatitudes that we went over. Talking about all the ways in which we need to live outside of our comfort zone to participate in the kingdom that he has brought. We're meant to be inside this, this kingdom embodiment. Instead, we fall under what this idea is. It's like a moral influence theory that's captured our imagination. It says that when Christians show up and they're nice, that is enough for them to just be. But it moves in complete contrast to this kingdom embodiment that is inviting us to take upon these ideas of the Beatitudes, this invitation of the kingdom that wants us to actually be confronted with all the ways that we are selfishly holding on to the things in our lives and hurting those around us by doing so and instead live a life of generosity and one of meekness and one of joy and one of peacemaking, all of which come at a cost to ourselves. And let me tell you, peacemaking is more than being nice. Peacemaking is often confrontational. Meek and being meek is more than being nice. It is a sacrifice of self. It is, is being a living sacrifice. The way to the how is not simply go be nice to your neighbor 
this Tuesday once a month. The way to the how is to understand that the way is Jesus himself. And every word that he says, every practice that he lives before us, every invitation that he gives is meant to be for us to follow along. When you say, I'm going to follow Jesus, you're not following an idea or a paradigm. You're following a new way. You're following a kingdom expression that is breaking into the darkness. And if you are following a new way, then the way in which you live should look like that way. And who is the way? That way is Jesus. When God's kingdom is embodied by his people, we can function in a potent and provocative way. All this to say, to be salt and light is often misinterpreted as a call to action. But it's less about what you do and more about who you choose to be. Are we choosing every day to be like Christ? Is this an intentional decision that we're making when we walk into a room? Jesus says that this is the new community of God. He says that you are to actually fulfill the task of Israel. Israel was to be the light that represented the kingdom of God to the surrounding nations. And they fell short of that calling over and over and over again. So instead, he invites you and I as followers of Jesus. Can you take upon that mantle? Can you be the light, the city on the hill that does not hide itself? And can you represent yourself, myself, to the communities of the world so that they might see and know that I am real and I am good and they can find life in me? And I know it's hard. I've seen the failure. I've seen the ways in which the people of Israel have done that to a, a, a problematic way over and over again. So instead, I'm going to show you the way by coming and being with you. You and I are meant to be the lights that Israel was not able to be. It's an invitation for all of humanity to participate in. And remember who he's talking to. At the end of this passage, he says that you need to live a more righteous life than the most religious of the day. The Pharisees who, who knew all 2,000 laws and were able to live it out in a dramatic manner. And then he's saying to all those who are present, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the spiritually bankrupt, those who would have been rejected by culture and society. He's saying you and I. We are to actually live that out in a more righteous manner than those who know it all. And that feels heavy. That can feel like a lot. And so what he does in this upcoming passage and what we'll be talking about in the weeks ahead is he actually plunges into the guts of human existence. He talks about raging anger. He talks about contempt, hatred, obsessive lust, divorce, verbal manipulation, revenge, coercing one another. And he talks about the real kinds of stuff that we deal with as humans and he wants to show us an alternative way. His strategy for changing the world is that you and I would become more like him. 
And as you become more like him, you become fully yourself. You become fully alive. And as these things get worked out by the power of the Holy Spirit, wherever you go, you become salt and light in the world around you. Renewal in our culture, in our city, in our neighborhoods begins with you. This is where salt begins. This is where light begins. That is the big thing we can't lose in the midst of this call to purpose that the one who is salt, the one who is light is not you and I in our core. It's the invitation of Christ within me that I begin to live that out. And the reality is change is hard. It's, it's so easy just to say, like, let's, let's, let's pick up our cross. Let's go run into the battle, and it's going to be great on the other side. We're going to figure it out. Change is hard. And if you're not leaning into following Jesus by being like Jesus, and you wish to experience the fullness of the promises of God in your life, we need to commit to change. Because we're constantly being formed by something. And when we're not intentionally being formed by Christ, then we're being formed into something else that we never actually thought was taking place. God's longing and desire is for us to be salt and light. But this is the difference that we often face. His longings, his desires are often different than ours. If you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've probably heard this passage before. This idea of being salt in the world. And this call to action to go be salt in your neighborhood. Go be kind and go be generous. Go represent Jesus. And we're given this wide array of, of the how. How do we be salt? And it's almost overwhelming the weight of all the ways that we want to do it. But I would say this morning more than anything. My heart for you and for myself is that we would actually hear the call to be salt and light. To be a shift in our hearts to hunger and thirst rather than to simply know and believe. If the extension of my life is that I would hunger and thirst, that would be what leads me to this place of discipleship. James K. A. Smith says that discipleship is more a matter of hungering and thirsting than of knowing and believing. Jesus' command to follow him has more to do to align ourselves with his longings and desires. To want what God wants. To, to desire what God desires. To hunger and thirst after what God hungers and thirsts after. Because here's the thing, if that becomes the case, every single space we walk into is a space that needs then the saltiness of your life. If you're an artist... This is a, perhaps a way in which you push back the decay of the world. The salt of your life might be the creative expression of your heart actually pushing back the decay of the world by presenting beauty to those around you that might not be able to receive it in other spaces. If you're a teacher, maybe it's going into your classroom and it's the encouragement so that you're giving to that student that isn't getting it at home. There's a decay within their family system and the way that you are resisting that is that you're representing Christ to them every single day. 
If you're a businessman, if you, if you, if you are working in an economy, perhaps it's, I'm going to operate by practices and manners that reflect the kingdom so that it empowers my employees, that it treats people with kindness, that it preserves the way of Jesus in the midst of a space that is always about self. That's pushing back against the decay. And all these different things will come out of us so beautifully and so naturally when our longing and desire comes in alignment with Christ. Because the why comes before the what. It's the final idea. Here's the thing. We can know what to do in the how. And we can know what it is that we're supposed to do. Be salt and light. But so often we lose track of the why. Why does salt matter in a practical way of thinking about it? I will only preserve something that I believe is worth preserving. I will only shine a light into a dark place if I believe there's something worth pursuing. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, my why, my invitation to preserve and pursue, to be salt and to be light, my why is because everywhere Jesus looks, what does he see? He sees something worth pursuing. He sees something worth preserving. He sees the image of God alive in every human being on the face of the planet, and he refuses for the decay of the world to reject those people. To reject this place. Salt preserves that which is believed to have value in the world. And so often we lose our saltiness because we have stopped carrying the value for people that Jesus holds for them. Do you hold back from being the person of Jesus in spaces because you have stopped thinking about them. So often, the reason why we don't act like Jesus in our public spaces is because we are thinking about ourselves. But the invitation to salt and light, to preserve and pursue, to fight back against decay, is an invitation to look at someone else and be like, they are so worth my time, my energy, my effort, my heart, my generosity, and my kindness, because my why has come in alignment with that of God. Think of it this way. Jesus is able to see value in things that we're unable to, much like uh, when mom and dad were moving from Calgary out here to British Columbia. We had 25 years of things in the house. And we had bins and bins of different knickknacks and things that we're working through and looking through. And some of these bins held grade three Jason's drawing that he brought home from school one day. And we ended up on the fridge. And it probably should have ended up in the garbage because it was no piece of art. But yet the mother's heart said, I, will, I see value in that. So I'm going to keep it and I'm going to preserve it. And I'm going to make sure that it is there well beyond the point where others would say it is no longer needed. 
This is the heart of the Father. Every time he looks out into a broken world where you and I say they are past the point of no return, Jesus looks at them and says, that is my child, that is my son, that is my daughter. I see the value in them. And so I want you to be the salt and light that preserves and pursues them to bring them back into my loving arms. Have you lost that vision in the midst of the busyness of life? That when you walk into the room, you don't see the beauty of those around you. You only see the discomfort within you. This is not a call to optimistic, extroverted thinking. Where you suddenly need to be the most outgoing person and like high-fiving everybody as you walk into rooms. This is a call to simply see people in the way that Jesus does. With this longing and desire for them to discover the value that he has placed in them. All people are made in his image, but not all people know it. Some have never heard it, and some have forgotten it. And maybe the most powerful thing you can do throughout your lifetime as a follower of Jesus is be the ultimate reminder that they are loved, seen, never forgotten, always per pursued, and be the preservation in the world that God so desires. This is the kingdom breaking into the world. This isn't a call to enterprise or politics or technology. This is for the soul of humanity. This is for you and I to care about the things that really do matter. 1 Peter 2 verse 9 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy, holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Worship team, you can join me at the front. The why of Jesus needs to become the why of the church and the why of City Collective, the why of you and I. That in every person, in every space, he sees incomparable value. What would it look like to push back decay in your own communities, in your own life? Perhaps it's entering into a room and seeing the value of someone who's working hard but looks beaten down. That you don't just actually offer simply a word of encouragement, you offer a helping hand. It's entering a room and feeling the heaviness of a situation and just making a decision to sit with someone as they weep. You can see how quickly these practices can become really disingenuine if our why is not there. But you won't preserve nor will you pursue that which you don't value. So I'm going to read a couple questions to you and I want you to reflect on them. Um, we'll, po we'll post them, we'll make them available to you throughout the week. But I'm going to ask you to close your eyes with me right now. We're going to take communion together. I'm going to read out these questions, then I'll have you stand to your feet. You are called to be salt and light in the world. To be the means by which Jesus pushes back against the decay of the world. So here's the questions. When you look around, are you able to see value worth preserving? 
God, renew our hearts for those around us. Where have we stopped seeing value in others? Where have we stopped seeing value in people? And God, where there might be impurities in us, would you reveal it? Is there impurities in, in our hearts, in your heart, that you feel is pushing you away from having the eyes of Jesus in situations? We pray that you would reveal that to us. That our hearts would be drawn back to you. Holy Spirit, we invite you into the space, into our hearts and our minds as we come to the table and we partake in remembrance of the broken body and spilled blood of Christ that we would, we would sense it would be more than simply a nice idea presented to us 2,000 years ago. But it would be this provocative transformation of our lives that would lead us into the darkest of places with the fullness of your light. And where fear might exist within our hearts that, that that seems beyond my ability, that seems beyond what I can even do in the here and now, I can barely deal with a difficult situation in this current moment. I just pray that there would be a, a rising up within the people that feel that right now. Where they feel lacking, I pray that your strength is found. In our weakness, you are made strong. Help us to have eyes to see the decay around us and the courage to be the salt to preserve that which you desire to preserve. Let it be so. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? We're going to partake in communion and a final song as we close our time together this morning. The late Rachel Held Evans, she wrote this reflection on the practice of communion. She says, if people are hungry, let them come and eat. If people are thirsty, let them come and drink. It's not my table anyway. It's not a denomination's table. It's not my church's table. It's Christ's table. And Christ sends out the invitations as if he's running through the streets, gathering up all the riffraff to fill up his house. And that's exactly what we should do. Christ has died for us all. Christ has risen. And Christ will come again. Would you join me? We're going to read a statement together and partake in communion. You can make your way to the front as we sing immediately after. Let's read this together. Father, continue to show us the ways in which you transform the ordinary into holy things. How scraps of bread and shared cups become an eternal feast. May we in turn transform the ordinary parts of our lives into holy things. May we push back against the decay and darkness of our world with your spirit in us acting as salt and light. Seeing how small acts of kindness and grace can spread so far and wide in our communities. As we come to the table, let us remember you and be shaped into your image. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope it encouraged and blessed you in your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. To keep up with City Collective, make sure to check us out on Instagram and Facebook at City Collective Church. Have a great week.